Hey, everybody, if you want to tell the world something or sell the world something, head on over to Squarespace because they're going to help you build the website of your dreams. Say you want to sell some custom merch. Well, you can set up your online store, whether you sell physical, digital, or service products. Squarespace has the tools you need to start selling online. So go to squarespace.com stuff right now, and you will face a free trial. And when you get ready to launch, use our offer code STUFF, and then you'll save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. How could you go wrong with Squarespace? Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, and welcome to the Hornet's Nest. I'm Josh. There's Chuck. (laughs) Jerry's here. And this is Stuff You Should Know. Josh's idea. Yeah. (laughs) As I was um, researching this, I started sweating like cartoon bullets off of my forehead. Like I was um, Little Orphan Annie or something when she's startled. Yeah. I get it. Or Nancy. Nancy's a better one. Do you remember Nancy? Mm, With Sluggo? Yeah, yeah. I remember Nancy and Sluggo. Yeah, so she is one of the great overlooked comic strips of all time, and she's still going on. She's got a new breath of life in her. She's using computers and the internet and everything, but same great, like, almost kind of subversive humor and and outlook that um, that, that, uh, Nancy always had. Check it out. (laughs) I haven't looked at the funny papers in a long time. Do they still have (laughs) the old favorites? Yeah, but I don't think they call them funny papers anymore. Because they're not funny. They, they never were. No. No. <laughs> Plus, no one wants to point out that it's made of paper. The, the comics. Yeah. I used to love uh, Beetle Bay, of course, Garfield and Bloom County. Sure. Definitely. And uh, when I got a little bit older, uh, what was the one that got a little political that was so good? Sally Forth. No. <laughs> it got political? Doonesbury? Yeah. Not Bloom County, but the other one that was. Uh, Doonesbury? Yeah, Doonesbury. Oh, yeah, that one was always political. Uh, and then uh, Beetle Bailey. Love Beetle Bailey. What about Hagar the Horrible? He was fine. Uh, I, Family Circus, I liked at the time, but looking back, it was the least funny comic in history. It was. It was just, it was cute. Brenda Starr. Mark, <laughs> right? Mark Trail. Mary Worth. Mark <laughs> Trail. What was going on with that guy? Oh, uh, it, it was just a nature propaganda disguised as a yeah, comic strip. It really was. You know, nature propaganda, save the earth and all that. Big nature. Uh, so that's funny one? that you say that because <laughs> there's there's a group of people who are involved in today's topic that possibly refer to their opponents as big nature. Weirdly, Chuck. Like, I don't think they do, but the the same sense and sensibility is still there. Jane right. Austen reference. <laughs> Second one in the in two podcasts. That's right. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, can we just caveat this episode? 
you said it was a hornet's nest. This is about cats, domestic cats being an invasive species. I'm sorry, but they are. I love cats. I've got two cats. I've always had cats. Always love cats. I will always have cats. So this Mm -hmm. has nothing to do with being anti or pro-cat. It is just dissecting sort of the scientific problem of cats. In the same way that cats dissect birds and small mammals for sport. Right, which we talked about a lot, but we'll talk about it a lot more. Yeah, so I'm with you, Chuck. And uh, like we're, you know, it is an issue and it's a problem. And one of the things that's contributing to making it a problem is that the two sides are so diametrically opposed and so over one another that there's a, there's just no conversation going on. And then the general public, like you and me, um, are just kind of blissfully unaware of this and then just get goosed every once in a while when the media kind of picks up this issue or right. runs a headline or an article about it. Um, and the idea is, like you said, that that it, it's a pretty pretty much widely held among wildlife and conservation biologists that cats, house cats, and specifically feral cats, are an invasive species around the world and have they wreak enormous havoc including species extinction in the habitats, in our backyards, in the habitats that they they inhabit. Um, but before we really kind of get into that and lay out the case one way or another, um, we should probably talk about the cat and where, where the cat came from and why they hang out in our backyards to begin with. Uh, that's right. We should. Uh, they came, we think, from uh, the Mid- Mideast with uh, not Mideast as in Virginia, that's not the Mideast. That's the, the Middle South. East. That's the Mid-Atlantic. Yeah, the Middle East of planet Earth. Okay, uh, gotcha. Which was, a, a you know, these wildcats from the forest called uh, Felis Sylvestris, which is interesting. I never thought about Sylvester the cat taking its or name. Or Felix the cat. Yeah, or Felix taking their names from the original cats. Uh, but that is the thought, is that they came from there, were most likely domesticated about 12,000 years ago. And we don't know for sure, but the general thought is once we started uh, becoming an agriculturally-based society and we had grain and seed to store, then the mice and the rats started coming around and the wildcats started coming around to take care of that problem. And humans were like, hey, this is fine with us. And then over time, some of those cats got a little friendlier than others. And and the people were like, oh, you like a little scritch under the neck, huh? Well, Mm -hmm. you want to come inside and have some milk? Shouldn't give cats milk. No. Uh, but they didn't know that at the time. And that's the best idea we have going of how cats in- initially became domesticated. Yeah, and there's evidence of, you know, of cats being domesticated um, that come from Cyprus, where there are no native cats. So cat bones and cat fossils are ostensibly domesticated because they would have had to have been taken there by humans by ship. It's possible the cat stowed away, but it's also just as possible that 8,000 years ago when this cat bone on Cyprus is from, um, the, the, the cat was domesticated enough to ride along aboard a ship um, with sailors. And then there's another cat fossil from about 1,500 years earlier than that, so just under 10,000 years ago. Um, where the cat was deliberately buried with the human, mm-hmm. which strongly also suggests domestication. So it's not a really big stretch that by about 12,000 years ago when we started storing surplus grain, that's about the time when cats and humans really started to, to kind of coincide. 
Yeah, and I think you would probably best describe this as a mutualistic relationship at this point because both species are benefiting. Uh, we have talked in the past about uh, commensalism. Boo! And, <laughs> and maybe that's how one might have described it, which is like cats are eating the mice. Humans were like, fine, big whoop, we don't really care. Mm-hmm. But I, I would say it's probably more mutualistic, don't you? Don't you think? Yeah, yes, absolutely. I, again, I I posit that there is no such thing as commensalism. <laughs> I think both parties somehow, some way, yeah, sure, always are either benefited or harmed by the situation. And this is a great example of that because if we're growing surplus, if we're growing grain, we have surplus to feed more and more people um, and to you know, last us through the winter, or whatever. We have these grain stores. If, you know, mice and rats come along and eat our grain, that's a problem for us. And if the cats come along and eat the mice or the rats, that solves our problem. So the cat is getting to eat all of this food that's showing Mm -hmm. up at these grain stores where otherwise they would have to go and hunt all over the place. The cat's benefiting. We're benefiting mutualism. That's right. (laughs) I agree. Okay. Uh, You don't have to talk me into it, buddy. Okay, good, Down with good. I'll lay off then. I'll lay off. We need t-shirts, man. <laughs> Do we still have t-shirts? Oh, I don't know. We don't either. I haven't seen them in a while. We've, we've never done a good job at uh, promoting that stuff. No. That's all right. Uh, so here's the deal with cats as an invasive species, though, is they are very uh, hardy as a species. They survive uh, even though they don't have a real natural range, they can live in many, many different environments successfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are obviously your your pet cats, uh, which are, I don't think we said what was the name of the domesticated cat finally. Uh, Felis catus, which sounds like a Bugs Bunny cartoon, right. you know, like when Roadrunner would, <laughs> yeah. would they freeze frame, you uh-huh. know? Yes. <laughs> it's, it's basically what they would write, but that's it. Yeah, that was totally. as unimaginative as it gets. Uh, so you've got your, your feral cats and you've got your cats that live inside houses, but also freely roam uh, outside. Like, uh, like, oh, I have a pet cat, but it never comes inside because I don't like changing litter boxes. Mm-hmm. So we have outdoor cats. Uh, and then there's the feral cat. And those are the two cats that are causing problems. Uh, and they are very much different. And this is from the Grabster. Uh, he points out they're very different than other, uh, quote-unquote, domestic invasive species uh, that you might have as a pet because we talked about the Burmese python problem in Florida. Those mm-hmm. aren't truly domesticated uh, and then there are feral dog populations in the world, and they do cause problems, but not like cats do. No, definitely not. So um, apparently th- there's also like a really good case that's made that cats aren't truly domesticated either, which rings a bell to me from our animal domestication episode. Yeah, I think I remember that. I think they're considered semi-domestic, actually. They're but prisoners. for all intents and purposes, <laughs> basically. Or, no, they just come and go as they please. They're, they they hang around us as much as they want to, you know. All right. Well, speaking of hanging out, let's take a little break. Mm. And we'll get to the grisly details of what these cats do. Because even though we've said it before, you might not have heard that episode. You might think, what would my sweet little cat do if let outside? Besides just creep around. Well, we'll tell you what they'll do right after this. everybody, it's time you heard about Squarespace. Squarespace has the tools you need to create and sell your own website, whether it's an online course or custom merch, 
Squarespace has you covered. That's right. Courses is a great program. You can start with a professional layout that fits your brand, upload video lessons to teach techniques and skills, and tailor your course with a powerful Fluid Engine editor. That's right. With Fluid Engine, which is a next-generation website design system, by the way, it's never been easier for anyone to unlock unbreakable creativity. That's right. And don't forget the commerce side, because after that, you can charge a one-time fee, or you can even sell a subscription. Yeah. So turn your creativity into income with Squarespace courses. And right now, go to squarespace.com stuff for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code STUFF to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Squarespace. Hey, everybody. Did you know that Boricua is the name for someone from Puerto Rico? But it's more than just a name. It's a way of life and representation of the vibrant spirit of the island. Yeah, that's right. It's an island that's filled with adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored, like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the entire United States. That's right. Or you can get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico that remind you of why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island. It becomes a part of you. That's right. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Hey, everyone. Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Hey friends, as every parent knows, kids seem to be everywhere all at once, and it's really tough for even the most watchful moms and dads to protect their little ones from every single thing. Yeah, Duracell understands this, and that's why they're deeply committed to lithium coin battery safety. Lithium coin batteries power a bunch of important things around people's homes, including things young children may have access to. So Duracell not only educates parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of lithium coin battery safety, they also make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them. Even Duracell's packaging is child secure and designed to avoid accidental opening. Because they believe their products should provide more than just power. They should also provide peace of mind. You can learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely. Available on 2032, All right, Chuck, so I think anybody who owns a cat that's not a 100% indoor cat um, has had some experience or other where their cat has shown up on their doorstep with uh, a present of a bird, a mouse, a small rodent, baby squirrel, um, a baby seal, depending on where you are. <laughs> uh, but some, some little animal where the cat is saying either, hey, um, I want you to have this. I really appreciate all of the fancy feast. Or <laughs> they theorize that possibly the cat is um, keeping a toy that it was playing with earlier. It's brought yeah. it home to like hang on to. Or it's it's um, following in its, um, uh, I guess, kind of evolutionary impulse 
to teach other cats how to hunt. Right. It's teaching you how to hunt. Right. That's what it's bringing. Those are uh, the the big main theories that I saw. Yeah. Like, see how it's done, buddy? Yeah. You see this bird? Can yeah. you do that? And you may be horrified when the cat does that. You may also be like, you know, Felix, come on. You can't do that. Where's this bird's head anyway? Um and then just kind of forget about it. Put it out of your mind. Maybe you go to the trouble of burying the bird, which is nice if you do that. But you just move along with your day. Your cat might do that a few times a year. And if you multiply that by the number of cats who are roaming around and you num- multiply that by the number of feral cats, you suddenly get into really, really, really big numbers. And the idea of just how destructive, invasive uh, cats are um, really kind of comes into focus. Yeah, so here are numbers from uh, about nine years ago in 2013. And this is kind of hard to track, but uh, they do the best job that they can with these numbers. Uh, domestic cats, these are to say pet cats and feral cats. Uh, and we should say that feral cats kill about three times as more uh, animals and, and birds as domestic cats. But mm-hmm. – uh, between 1.4 and 3.7 billion, with a B, birds, and 6.9, and this is a big range, to 20.7 billion mammals a year. This is every single year. And you found some more stats that really kind of put a, a cherry on top here. Uh, rodents uh, are linked to the extinction of 75 different species Mm-hmm. Cats are linked to the extinction of 63 different species where they have completely been extinct. Uh, 40 bird species, 21 mammal species, and two reptile species. Right. So um, we should say that the, um, the, the species extinction, that's global, they think. The, that, those numbers that you said, between up to around 4 billion birds and as many as 20-plus um, billion mammals every year, mm-hmm. Chuck, that's in the United States alone. And not only in the United States alone, that's just in the contiguous 48 states alone every year. That's what this 2013 study between Smithsonian Institute and um, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service concluded. Right. So there are people and, you know, we'll get to, you know, some of the possible solutions later on. But if you talk to the head of the Smithsonian Migratory Bird Center, um, and named Pete Mara, he will say very clearly that there should be a zero tolerance for free ranging cats. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, they should be uh, trapped. They should be removed and not returned. Um, and then goes on to say more things that are a little more grisly should be done if you have no other choices, which is euthanasia, um, professional hunters, poisons, stuff like that. Right. But, you know, that sounds, and it is super harsh. And if you're a cat person, you're just like horrified right now. But what about the bird people, (laughs) you know? Right. So that's why there's the opposition on one side or wildlife biologists and um, conservationists. And on the other side, you know, cat advocates and activists, and they're they're butting heads over this, and it's like a really big 
it's a it's a huge issue one way or another. Uh, and one one side is saying just leave them alone. The other side is like, no, we can't leave them alone, or else they're going to continue to create um, species extinctions and kill billions and billions of birds and small mammals every year. And there's a lot of ways that they they might do this. There's a, a story of a cat named Tibbles. Oh man, this is crazy. Who, it was a single female cat who arrived on a little island off of New Zealand called Stevens Island in the 1890s. There were no cats there. In fact, there were no predatory mammals, so much so that the little Stevens Island wren lost its ability to fly. It had no reason to fly. It had all the food it needed on the island. It didn't need to escape predation. So um, they lost their ability to fly and became one of just three flightless songbirds in the world. And now we have two species of flightless songbirds in the world, thanks to Tibbles and the litter that she had. That's right. Tibbles arrived pregnant. And, uh, I mean, this is a very clear-cut case of one pregnant cat showed up, and literally Tibbles and the offspring uh, made the Stevens Island wren no more. It is completely extinct. Yeah. And so that is, that's one single instance where they can say this cat did this. And I've even seen it like said in places like the, this, the legend goes or the story goes or something like that. So I'm not 100% certain on exactly how well documented it is. Um, and more to the point, even if that is 100% accurate, it's really difficult to extrapolate that onto, you know, the rest of the world onto wildlife in general. There's a lot of factors and a lot of pressures that go into a species going extinct. But from what I'm seeing, the the conservation biologists and wildlife biologists who are um, doing meta-analyses of, you know, smaller studies and kind of putting the numbers together, they typically tend to, um, to make suppositions on the lower end. Right. So these numbers may actually be underreported. They may be much higher. Um, than what we think. But the upshot of it is that there seems to be a, um, cats seem to be, if not directly or solely responsible, in some cases they are largely responsible for some species extinction. That's right. Um, Cats also spread disease. Uh, If you look at rabies in 2014, this is not that long ago, cats accounted for 61% of all rabid domestic animals in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I don't know, people talk about like possums and raccoons and they're just, and rats and they're just like, oh God, they're, you know, rabid animals. Uh, yet they will feed a stray, you know, feral cat, uh, which is something that e- even, you know, animal people say you shouldn't do because that just means they will reproduce and there will be more feral cats and feral cats don't do so well. They, uh, they struggle to live, and they they get uh, they get hurt, and they get hit by cars, and they get run over. And I think uh, a large percentage of the litter doesn't even make it past six months. So, if you love cats, you shouldn't be feeding feral cats. Yeah, it's a little you know it's hard to wrap your head around it, but that's if you want a healthy population of cats, you shouldn't feed feral cats. Right. It is does seem very paradoxical and even mean, but we'll get into a little more why. Um, But one of the things you said about uh, effects cats can have on the ecosystem, especially feral cats, um, is that they in particular spread um, Toxoplasma gondii, um, which we had an entire episode on years and years and years ago. Mm -hmm. But um, 
it's a it's a type of parasite that can affect um, that can create neurological symptoms in humans. It, it can it's pretty rare that it actually does that, but it can cause birth defects in children, uh, in fetuses, which is why if you're pregnant, you're um, advised to stay away from litter boxes or handling right. cat feces, you know, in general, which is just good advice generally, um, because of toxoplasma, um, and it actually can kill other animals too, right? Oh, sure. Uh, and, you know, it spreads through those feces. So any warm-blooded, I mean, we we can get infected. You know, humans can and do get toxo. I'm sure I have toxoplasmosis by this point. Um, any warm-blooded animal can get it. And, yeah, it can, it can kill uh, animals as large as a seal. Yes. And the reason why cats are so important into this chain is the, the um, T. Gandhi um, eggs can only reproduce or the, the um, parasite can only reproduce in the gut of a cat. So if you take cats out of the equation, if you take cats that are roaming around the landscape pooping everywhere, you take um, toxoplasmosis out of the equation largely too. Um, and then lastly, Chuck, one of the other things, in addition to actually, you know, wreaking havoc on bird and small mammal and also vertebrate um, or um, reptile and amphibian populations too, um, d- by directly eating them or killing them for sport, they're, they're having an indirect effect on some other native populations of like hawks, owls, um, larger mammals that eat these things for food. Like this is their food um, that the cats are, are killing and eating in some cases or sometimes just killing. That's right. And we've talked a lot about the trickle-down effect of removing anything from an ecosystem, and certainly birds are a vital part of any ecosystem, how they, uh, you know, spread the seed and uh, pollination. Like, everything is, ends up being affected when you start extincting. Extincting? Mm-hmm. Sure. Extincting birds. Sure. And so, I, I know it sounds very much like we're teeing off on cats, or not. That's not the point. The point is to kind of get across that what you think of as like a lovable cuddle bug of an animal actually does have negative impacts on the ecosystem, in particular, the ones that are feral, the ones that are unowned, the ones that don't have a home to go to, the ones that um, that it turns out we have zero idea of exactly how many there are, the feral cat populations. That's right. Uh, should we take a break? Sure. All right. We'll take our second break here. And we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the problem and some solutions right after this. Hey, everybody. Did you know that Boricua is the name for someone from Puerto Rico? But it's more than just a name. It's a way of life and representation of the vibrant spirit of the island. Yeah, that's right. It's an island that's filled with adventure around every corner and natural treasures waiting to be explored, like El Yunque, the only tropical rainforest in the entire United States. That's right. Or you can get swept away by natural beauty and come away with unique stories that could only be experienced in Puerto Rico that remind you of why you travel in the first place. Visits end, but stories last forever. You don't become a part of the island. It becomes a part of you. That's right. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. 
Hey everyone, Homes.com knows having the right agent can make or break your home search. That's why they provide home shoppers with an agent directory that gives you a detailed look at each agent's experience, like the number of closed sales in a specific neighborhood, average price range, and more. It lets you easily connect with all the agents in the area you're searching so you can find the right agent with the right experience and ultimately the right home for you. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Hey friends, as every parent knows, kids seem to be everywhere all at once, and it's really tough for even the most watchful moms and dads to protect their little ones from every single thing. Yeah, Duracell understands this, and that's why they're deeply committed to lithium coin battery safety. Lithium coin batteries power a bunch of important things around people's homes, including things young children may have access to. So Duracell not only educates parents, caregivers, and medical professionals about the importance of lithium coin battery safety, they also make the only lithium coin batteries with a non-toxic bitter coating to help discourage children from swallowing them. Even Duracell's packaging is child secure and designed to avoid accidental opening because they believe their products should provide more than just power. They should also provide peace of mind. You can learn more at Duracell.com slash power safely. Available on 2032, 2025, and 2016 sizes. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more, while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. So there are about 86 million pet cats in the United States. And uh, and I know I've talked about this before. About 25 to 30% of those cats are either full-time outdoor cats uh, as your pet or uh, you let your cat outside, you know, for large parts of the day or whatever. Indoor-outdoor cats. Um, that, you know, it's <laughs> it's a problem. I don't think people should let their cats outside. I think if you have a pet cat, it should be an indoor-only cat because of the lizards and the birds and the mammals that they kill because of the disease that they can spread. Uh, I've always been an indoor cat person since I've been an adult. Uh, I grew up having outdoor cats, and there was a constant flood of dead animals on our front porch you know, all the time. And it was pretty horrifying as a kid to grow up with that kind of thing. <laughs> but um, th- this is one of those situations where, you know, we don't like to get on our high horse very often, but you should keep your cats inside. And if and not wanting to deal with a litter box is your issue, then you might want to rethink your why you have cats. Martha Stewart hawks one where, like, they send you a new fresh litter box every however long, and then you just pack <laughs> up the Disposable. old one, throw it away. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, I mean, it stinks. I hate cleaning out the litter box more than anything, but I love birds. And uh, and chipmunks more yeah. than I hate cleaning out the litter box. 
That's a really good way to put it, Chuck. Yeah. So that's just free roaming cats, is what they what they're called. What what you described. It's like they have a house to go to. They have people that feed them at that house. They're considered a pet, but they're allowed to run around the neighborhood as much as they like. Um, the, so if we have about eighty six million cats um, that are are pets, and twenty five to thirty percent of them are roaming outdoors, that's a significant number. But from the censuses, the studies that have been conducted over decades, um, the feral cat population vastly seems to outnumber the um, free-roaming cat population. Some studies say, no, it's about the same, maybe, or probably a little more feral cats, maybe 30 million. That is the lowest I've been able to come up with is 30 million. That's the lowest estimate I've seen across the entire Internet. I went everywhere on the internet, and the lowest I saw was 30 million. Yeah. Some sources put it more in line with about the total number of pet cats, that there's about 80 million feral cats running around. Again, the United States alone, just the U.S. Um, And that if if that is the case, um, then you really do start to get into some really big numbers really fast about how— uh, how much uh, of an effect those that 80 million feral cats uh, could have on local bird and small mammal populations. Yeah, and, you know, if a cat, if a feral cat makes it to adulthood, which, uh, you know, like I said, the, the pretty high percentage die before six months of age. But mm-hmm. if they do make it to adulthood, they are very efficient killers and there are no natural predators for cats. Uh, and you might think, well, no, there's plenty of things that can kill a cat. Sure. There are, but their populations, like, you know, a, a, a cougar or something, there aren't many of those left anymore. Those populations have been decimated uh, because of all the reasons that that might happen. And what you end up with is a lot of feral cats with um, with nothing hunting them, but they're hunting everything else. I, well, I found a 2013 Ohio State uh, study and they found that um, urban coyotes, we did another episode on coyotes, remember? Mm-hmm. Um, well, as their numbers are growing and growing, they're actually keeping feral cat populations in check. Oh, interesting. And, and as a result, some bird species, small mammal species, are, are um, their numbers are rebounding because urban coyotes um, tend to keep feral cats at bay. Like feral cats avoid them like the plague. The thing is, is coyotes tend to avoid humans. Right. So the feral cats have just been hanging around buildings, offices, businesses, like human-built areas, and avoiding kind of more natural urban areas like woods and parks and tree-forested areas, that kind of thing, where the coyotes hang out. So the wildlife is protected in the in the forested, woody areas of mm-hmm. the, a city, but they're they're— prey like around human habitation like buildings and offices and stuff right which makes sense so we've outlined the problem uh it is really sad because i love cats and i don't like the idea of cats being a problem um but they are so what are the solutions josh what are the solutions you're leaving that to me huh (laughs) yeah we'll both talk about it but i'm teeing you up so one of the solutions that, um, and this is, if you're if you're a cat advocate, uh, an activist, you are probably very much in favor of uh, a type of approach called trap, neuter, release (TNR) programs. Right. These were developed. Uh, the earliest I saw is in the late '90s, um, 
where you if you were a uh, uh, like a animal um, uh, animal what's animal control like mm-hmm. for a county or a city or something like that uh, if you have a trap neuter release program uh, if you find a cat um, you capture it you take it to the shelter the vet there spays or neuters the cat they clip the tip of the cat's ear off and then you release it back into the wild a feral cat um, and as they're doing this, the, the point of trap-neuter release is that the cat is not euthanized. So it's a, an end to euthanasia as far as animal shelters. Like, you know, before trap-neuter release, if a cat got picked up by animal control and made it to the animal shelter, that was it for the cat. This is a chance to give cats the, the opportunity to live their life out. But you've taken away their ability to reproduce, so you're now managing the the reproduction rate of a feral cat colony. And if you get your hands on enough of these feral cats and you spay and neuter enough of them and you keep up with it fast enough, studies have shown that you have a really good chance of stabilizing and then eventually diminishing the feral cats in your area. Yeah, and there have been a lot of studies on this. Um, There was one in 2019 that found over a decade. uh, It's called high-intensity TNR, uh, was very successful at reducing feral cat populations. Um, there's high density and low density TNR. And the idea it seems to shake out is that unless you are doing high density, unless you're hitting, uh, unless you're getting to like 75% of the population, then they say mm-hmm. you might as well not even be doing it. Right. Uh, so high intensity TNR really works. Uh, and then in this one study, it had a couple of other interesting Uh, parts to it uh, is they weren't just measuring how many feral cats were out there, but they're trying to do studies that like say, hey, we want healthy cat population. So let's look at uh, harm reduction for feral cats. So if you have overpopulation and and too many feral cats, then it's, there's a, Ed points out, there's a lot of misery going around. They struggle to find food more. Uh, they spread disease more. They are constantly pregnant. Cats reproduce like bunnies do. Uh, they can have up to three litters a year and up to, you know, 12 to 15 cats per litter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these cats walking around constantly pregnant, constantly giving birth to kittens that don't live more than six months, constantly looking for food because they're overstressed is that's, that's not if you're a cat lover. Again, that's not what you want. And so they tried to measure the harm reduction, and they found that high intensity, uh, I'm sorry, high intensity TNR uh, reduced preventable cat deaths by thirty uh, percent or thirty times. Yeah, thirty times, not thirty percent. Yeah. Thirty times fewer preventable cat deaths. And they defined preventable cat deaths by cats that were picked up and euthanized at a shelter, or cats that died before reaching adulthood. And right. cats have a really high. Um, mortality rate for young cats. Um, I saw a study from 2003 or four that found um, a, a mortality rate of about 48% within three months of birth. Oh, wow. And 75% within six months of birth. Okay, yeah, and that's the number. This is, t- you want to talk about harm reduction. Um, the most common cause of death was trauma. So they were getting mauled by dogs or eagles or owls. Hit, hit or, by cars. Yeah, getting hit by cars. Um, so it is a really harsh, 
uh, um, unhappy life for feral cats. And the premise of TNR is, okay, we can actually lead to a reduction in these kittens that are being born in these horrible conditions, living three months and then getting mauled by a, a neighborhood owl or something like that. Like, that's, that's a bonus. That's a plus. But you hit on something that's really important, Chuck, that there is a pretty decent amount of research on... Actually, that's not true. There's not that much research on the effectiveness of trap-neuter release. But the studies that have been done on them that are high-quality studies do emphasize that, no, there's definitely a threshold to where you're just completely wasting time and energy. And even worse than that, if you're not hitting, I think, what did you say, about the 75% threshold of spaying and neutering feral cats in a given colony? Yeah. If you're not hitting that 75% mark, you're doing worse than nothing because the people who are aware of TNR, the TNR program in your city and county, think you're doing something, but right. you're not. You're, it's worse than doing nothing because if everyone knows you're not doing anything, then people might say, we got to do something. Mm -hmm. But if they think you're doing something, but you're not actually really doing anything, that's harmful. And that's ultimately harmful, not just to these kittens that are being born by that, like that, but also to the, um, to the birds and small mammals that those kittens are eating within their three to six months on Earth. That's right. Uh, TNR is expensive. Uh, it takes a lot of time, you know, trapping trapping any animal is hard like one of our dogs charlie we we trapped and it was a feral dog in the woods and it took five days to trap these dogs it's it's a commitment to trap an animal wait a minute uh, wait a minute you have a dog that you trapped that was feral yeah yeah charlie <laughs> i didn't know that yeah charlie we found in the woods with four other dogs and just you know these dogs would not come near anybody uh when they were puppies and we we spent uh, with our friends uh, Adair and Elliot spent, uh, I think, yeah, like five days trying to trap wow. these dogs. And Charlie was the last one that was holding out that we could not get. And a oh, wow. Burger King cheeseburger is what finally did it. That'll do it every time. And uh, Charlie spent the first, you know, as a result, spent the first six years of her life very afraid of people and would just do rounders through our house when people would come over and not come oh. near anybody. But uh, since my daughter came along, more people at the house and just over time she's just the sweetest sweetest girl now and goes up to everybody awesome. after like 20 seconds and it used to take days or weeks oh that's cool it's a great success story there but um long wait, wait, story short i imagine i i have to say <laughs> chuck while i can just while you were describing tracking charlie and her pals i just imagined that that music and that scene from planet of the apes where they're rounding up the humans with nets right <laughs> is that basically what was going on no we had a big uh cage trap oh gotcha so no nets on horseback you no know, like dog goes in to get food and uh then the door swings shut but okay. charlie was very smart and charlie just turned 13 so oh happy she's birthday doing charlie. great uh but a uh, long way of saying that trapping an animal takes a lot of time and cats are super smart and uh it's time consuming it's it's, it's expensive and tnr is just it's hard to get a lot of people rallying around it and funding funding it, especially if you're expecting, like, the county to fund it. Like, most of that stuff is going to come from donations. Plus, also, if you're a wildlife or conservation biologist, you might say, no, I don't want to do TNR at all. Like, these cats, like, if, if let's say you pick one up at six months and you neuter it and release it into a feral colony, most of those feral colonies are managed by the city or the county, meaning that they're fed 
right? Which ends up attracting more abandoned cats that haven't been neutered or spayed yet. And then worse than that, let's say these cats live an extra four or five years. How many animals do they kill? Yeah, they're not reproducing, but you're releasing them back out to kill these birds and mammals. And those biologists say, this is too big of a problem to to take up TNR um programs. We need to do something else. Right. And everybody says, okay, well, what else? What can we do? And the biologists clear their throats and like kind of like put their hands in their pockets and look <laughs> at one another and say yeah. like, who's, who wants to say it? And uh, the one who's on his phone not paying attention suddenly realizes <laughs> everyone else is taking a step back. Right. And he's, he's up. Oh, boy. Uh, oh, and that's me? Yep. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's it's a terrible thing, but the other solution uh, is that you know <laughs> I don't even want to say it, but it's killing cats. Uh, Australia does this pretty effectively. Uh, in 2016, they began using a poison. Here's the deal: is cats probably won't eat poison, so they have these traps where a cat will go in and it will spray their fur with poison. The cats groom themselves by licking their fur. They ingest the poison and they die. Uh, and this is, you know, Ed points out, he's like, listen, this is, uh, no one cries for the dead rats and the dead mice, but, uh, you know, dead cats is, you're going to get some public outrage. Yes, for sure. And there's, I mean, there's a lot that's mixed up with that one. You know, we've chosen cats. There's like only just a small handful of animals on the planet. Out of all the animals on the planet, there's such a select group that we've said, come, come live in our human world, our human culture. Yeah. And cats are one of the top ones. I mean, yeah. like, cats are pets. Come into our so, house. So, right. Yeah. Have my milk. And again, the cat's like, please, this is really bad for me. I can't, I can't <laughs> turn it away. Please stop tempting me. But it's that's a huge part of it. So, like... Even even knowing that cats are, are out there having this huge effect on on birds and mammals, um, and, and and like possibly creating species extinction, um, it, it's still like that that doesn't just trigger something in us humans. Like, oh well, then we got to get rid of cats. Right. That's just not that's just not how it works. Um, but. That's what a lot of biologists suggest we do. And not get rid of all cats, but, you know, get rid of feral cats. Like, get do away with TNR programs and instead go back to if you pick a cat up, you take it in and euthanize it, and that's that. Um, because not only is it not reproducing any longer, it's also not killing small animals in the time where between where it's picked up and, and spayed and neutered and then released back into the wild and then the time that it dies of whatever cause, you know? But again, how are you ever going to get anybody behind something like that? Right. Do we even want to get behind something like that? And like, is that is that a thing that humans would want to take on? Like, okay, we've got this big problem. We need to handle it. Um, w- w- if we handle it this way, we can probably handle it basically once and for all. Um, but is that something we want to do? Is that, o- is that okay to do? Yeah, I mean, these are the big questions. I hope you're not looking to me for an answer. <laughs> no, I mean, it's unfortunately, it's definitely rhetorical right now. I mean, some yeah. people would answer, obviously, one way or another. Yeah. But I think there's a lot of people who are like, man, I really do care about birds, and I really do care about chipmunks and biodiversity, and I really don't like invasive species. Like, what am I to do, you know? Yeah. It's well, a tough one. At, at the very least, if you have outdoor cats, bring them inside. 
Yeah, and that's another thing too, is one of the things that, that you would have to do part and parcel with this is, you know, in most cities and counties, you have to get a license to have a dog. Right. You don't necessarily have to do that for a cat. You could start creating laws like that, create leash laws for cats, like really step it up and say, we love cats. You can have a cat, but you have to keep your cat in the house. If your cat's out of the house, you have to keep your cat on a leash. If a cat's feral, it's going to get picked up. Um, so there's, yeah, there's, there's stuff you can do. It's just a question of will is what it is. Yeah. And, you know, uh, when we said when I said that before, I got met with emails of, but my cat loves being outside. They all they do is want to be outside. It's yeah. because they want to go kill things. Yeah, almost exclusively. Like cats love to lay in the sunshine, but that's why you'll find them on sunny spots inside your house, and those sunny spots are just fine. Um, the cats want to go out and kill things. That's why they <laughs> scratch at the door if you let them out once. And uh, you know, I know I'm fighting an uphill battle here, but I love cats and I hate. The idea of running over a cat in my car, that's very traumatizing for an individual and a family. (laughs) Um, And the cat. uh, Well, (laughs) sure. Uh, So that's where I stand. Go ahead and email me if you're mad at me. So there's there's um, a group of vocal critics and opponents to the very um, people who who produced these studies starting in 2013, and basically anybody who who criticizes TNR um, programs. Um, who say the this these studies that are getting all of this media exposure? They're based on like bad science. Their mm-hmm. numbers are inflated. They're ba- basically making all this stuff up. Um, one of the uh, arguments that they make is that cats um, tend to prey on old or weak. Um, members of like bird or small mammal species that probably wouldn't have made it to reproduction time anyway. So they're not actually having an effect on the population. Come on. And there's answers to all these too that they, they've had. There's actually like, there's a flame war going on between this group of wildlife biologists and a specific group of like cat advocates. Um, and they're like answering one another and calling one another out. Um, but one of the answers to that is, well, okay, that's still... There's still animals that are suffering harm because cats are killing them. Even if they were going to die anyway, they're still being mauled by a cat. And then also, what data are you basing that on, that cats tend to kill infirm and weak members of species? Like, where'd that come from? So each side, in classic 2020s fashion, is accusing the other of... um, Basically, have like like junk, like basing all their stuff on junk science, making right. things up, making kind of character attacks, being snide to one another. It's just a a beautifully twenties twenties argument, <laughs> you know. So it's it's interesting to read about. But then you step back and you think this is really serious stuff. We need to do something. Everybody says we've got to do something, either a good TNR program or something. But we can't just keep going on like this. Yeah, because doing nothing creates a uh, again, uh, colonies of feral cats that are not living their best life. Right. Ooh. You got anything else? No, not right now. Okay. <laughs> well, if you want to know more about um, cats as invasive species and in particular trap neuter release programs, you can read all about that stuff all over the internet. There's a ton of it out there. And since I said there's a ton of it out there, it's time for a listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this Greenbrier Bunker Addendum. We heard from a few people that have been there, 
taken the tour and had other interesting things to say. And this is from Greg Soster in Columbus, Ohio. Okay. Uh, let me see here. Let me skip the beginning. Uh, in 1995, my family returned to the Greenbrier. They'd previously been there in 1991 uh, for a Christmas stay. The time, uh, This time, the bunker was known by the general public, uh, and we signed up for the guided tour. So I guess when they went in 1991, it was still not known as a, as a thing. So they were those kind of shrouded in mystery at that point. Um, okay. Here we go. Number one, the back entrance also has an enormous blast doors uh, with a very long haul leading to the under the mountain. Uh, a truck has to be able to drive in. The ear pressure when they close it is amazing. Uh, un- other interesting rooms include a dentist's office, a surgical operating room, and a crematorium. Mm. Uh, a TV studio and a water purification plant. Uh, the answer, and we heard from quite a few people here, families do not go to the bunker. Uh, each member of Congress has an assigned bunk, and each bunk has their prescription medicines fully stocked uh, and spare prescription eyeglasses for everybody as well. Oh, that's such a great touch. Yeah, otherwise you get All a All glory of Vanderbilt. Right. <laughs> Uh, Congress arrives by plane. There's a giant airstrip about 10 miles away, and the Army built a wide superhighway from the airport straight to the bunker. Uh, Secret Service would run, run drills to get the president to the bunker in 11 minutes or less. Wow. Uh, and then finally, it is strange to drive there because uh, it is it was windy, and it was a two-lane road, and then suddenly the last 10 miles, it's like a racetrack. I remember joking to my wife that the Greenbrier had a heck of a driveway. So they're talking about the superhighway that leads right to it. Right. And just to finish out, uh, Greg says the entire hotel staff and many townspeople knew about the secret for decades and they kept the secret out of a sense of duty and pride. They hated that when the secret was revealed by Mr. Ted Gupp because the what national Trevor, treasure was lost. That's pretty neat. So uh, who is that from? That was from Greg in Columbus, Ohio. That's right. Thanks a lot, Greg. That was a good one. Appreciate that info. Uh, and if you want to be like Greg and send along some info to us, uh, we'll try to sort through it from all the hate mail we're getting from cat lovers in the not-too-distant future. <laughs> you can wrap it up, spank it on the bottom, and send it off to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, if you haven't heard of Visible, well, now you have. They're the wireless carrier that's making wireless visible. It's in the name. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon as low as $25 a month every month, taxes and fees included. Use promo code STUFF. 20 to receive $20 off your first month for listening to this podcast. Switch now at Visible.com. For data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. The Visible monthly rate is $25 per month. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. 
Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth. No matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Hey, everybody. I want to talk to you for a second here about Canva, specifically Canva presentations that are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation. So start designing today at Canva.com. Designed for work. Just go to Canva, C-A-N-V-A.com.